Hey, listeners, this is your host, Andrea Butcher, and we have such a great being at work story today. As you'll hear, our guest has made significant leaps throughout her career from big brands to small organizations, gaming companies in Serbia, for example. And she's been questioned by those who know her. Really? Are you sure you want to do that? And with conviction and alignment with what is best for her family, she goes for it. Carolyn Cooley is the EVP Chief People Officer at Bowery Farming. But what you really need to know about Carolyn is what she's learned working at big brands and startups and the leadership skills necessary to flourish within each. Listen in as we talk about designing with people, not for them, rooting for companies that ultimately become your employer and changing the world, really changing the world. Check it out. So my whole background is in the people side of things, primarily working in HR. And when I think about my career so far, I usually break it into two phases because there really are two distinct phases that I've had. So I'll say phase one, early on, I spent a lot of time at large multinationals, more traditional, big enterprise, global companies. Out of grad school, I worked for Honeywell. After that, I was at PepsiCo and then Amazon. And was that purposeful? Like, did you set out to join those large brands? Is that what you wanted to do? Absolutely. I had in my mind that I could get this amazing global big experience. When I was in grad school, I was also really attracted to this idea of leadership development programs and rotational programs and being able to get as many different experiences as fast as you possibly can. So I was super into joining companies where there were just lots of opportunities to get into a new role and work on a new team and relocate, go to different locations. So absolutely, I was laser focused on big companies and also operational companies. When I was in high school, I worked summers on the assembly line at Kodak building single use panoramic cameras. <laughs> and back in the day, I don't think those exist anymore. And I was working on the assembly line and working in production. And I just absolutely fell in love with that environment, manufacturing, production operations. And I realized that there was so much to be done in that space and with that workforce with an hourly workforce. And I felt as I was studying HR that it was a space that was like underrepresented. There wasn't enough good work happening in advocacy for hourly workers and in this production manufacturing. So Honeywell, PepsiCo, Amazon, all big global companies with large hourly workforces where I felt I could make a major impact in the lives of folks that maybe otherwise people might not be as focused on making the workplace better for them. I'm also struck by the fact that multiple big brands, you said PepsiCo, Amazon, Honeywell, how did those transitions happen? And I suspect they were purposeful as well. They were, they were all different. So I started at Honeywell and I had... I had a great experience, but what had happened, I was there in the early 2000s and after a couple of rotations and learning from some amazing people, 
working with just incredible leaders. Honeywell's business at that time was going through some decline in aerospace and there were massive layoffs. And as an HR professional, I was involved in those massive layoffs, not impacted personally by my job, but impacted a lot by the work. And being so young and doing that kind of work right then, I definitely thought the grass was greener. So when a recruiter called from PepsiCo at the right time, (laughs) I was like, I love drinking Pepsi. You know, this will be a great change. And I went over to Pepsi and right away had to do some layoffs. And I learned that lesson like very early on on this, the grass is always greener type of perspective. I ended up staying at Pepsi for six years, having an incredible experience, learning so much from the foundation and really appreciating my time at both Honeywell and Pepsi and the things that I had learned. The switch to Amazon came at a time when I had at that point had my twins. I have twins, a boy and a girl. It was just after they were born. And we knew for my career to continue to grow we were going to need to make a relocation. And it's kind of like, wow, we're going to be moving as a family. We need to think broadly about what this means for us and what career path am I on? Where do we want to be as a family? All of those kinds of things. So I was considering roles inside of Pepsi, but I also was like, well, there's a big world out there and should we be thinking outside of it as well? And Amazon caught my eye because Amazon actually wasn't so big back then. I think there were like 12 buildings in the US when I joined Amazon and it was in such high growth mode. And I felt like I had learned such an amazing foundational set of skills already, but I hadn't done enough building my own thing and leading my own thing. And Amazon is and was back then as well, such a tech-focused company. I wanted to go kind of innovative, cutting edge. And so that was what drew me to Amazon. And I, I got all of that and more. I got the high growth, the expansion, got to do country launches and led enormous teams. It was a great progression. You know, it was the right move at the right time, I think, to get something very different. Taking the experiences you'd had at Honeywell and PepsiCo, I mean, those experiences no doubt were invaluable. How long were you at Amazon? A little over four years. And so all of that, those three big brands, you call that phase one of your career. And then nearly seven years ago now, you made a big change, which you call phase two. And that is the startup world. And you know, it's always so hard when you talk about these changes in your career and life because you never want to take away from part one, right? Part one was really special and I appreciate it and I loved it for what it was. At the same time, part two it totally energizes me to talk about part two in the startup world. The first startup that I worked at in the smaller organization is a company called Jet.com, which was an e-commerce startup. So I left Amazon to go to Jet.com. I mean, it was just an absolutely wild ride. There are so many things that attracted me to the startup, but really at the core, I had never even thought of doing something small. Like we talked about, I was focused on these big organizations and I wanted to lead a bigger team and have more scope and have more responsibility. And then the idea of going to a company at the time that had about 300 people, I mean, for a lot of people, it didn't make sense. A lot of people message me or call me and they're like, what are you doing right now? It doesn't even make any sense. But to me, it made perfect sense because I had fallen in love over the course of my career with building things and starting things and expansion. And so to have the opportunity to do that from the ground up, I think so often if you're in a large established organization, if you're like me, you find yourself saying, 
oh man, if I had been part of this from the start, I wish we could have built it this way or if only, and so easy to, you know, Monday morning quarterback everything, but (laughs) you'd love to like go back and start afresh. And this was this exciting opportunity to start fresh and build from the ground up in an environment that I had some transferable skills, right? It was an industry that I had worked in before, but with a very, very different culture and at a different pace. And so many things were really different at Jet. And we were on this wild hyper growth type of trajectory. And it's funny because a lot of people talk about hyper growth and I'll talk with people and they'll say, oh my gosh, we hired a hundred people last year. We were in hyper growth. Jet was 300 people when I joined and almost 5,000 people when I left 18 months later. It was absolutely extraordinary. And it was a blast. I, I absolutely loved that period of time. Jet was so successful that the company was acquired by Walmart less than a year after I had joined for $3.3 billion, a very, very successful exit. And so I stayed through the transition, but I still had this startup, small company bug. And now you're at Walmart. And then I was at Walmart. (laughs) And Walmart is a great company. Now that I can say I worked at Walmart, great organization, great people, excellent philosophical, some of the cultural markers there are really strong and deep. But it didn't change the fact that what I was looking for was that small, nimble, scrappy building. And that wasn't what I felt like I would be in for by staying. At that time, my husband and I decided we should go back to Europe and go on another adventure. And so I joined a small video gaming company, mobile gaming called Nordius, headquartered in Belgrade, Serbia. Another, you know, time when people would call me and say, what are you doing? (laughs) Do you know what you're doing? Lots of people thinking I was moving to Siberia and Serbia is not near (laughs) Siberia. Actually, really nice weather. It was a great experience for me and for my whole family to put ourselves back into an expat experience and everything as well. But when you're working in gaming, that was so different than the other things I had done. And one of the things that I was hoping for and looking forward to with working with artists and in a much more artistic space was learning more about design. And that's a hit-driven industry. And I think about how you apply that in the people space. We're kind of a hit-driven function, you know? Sometimes you design things and you're like, they're going to love it. And then they're like, I don't love it. And so learning about human-centered design and working in a creative space with an absolutely incredible group of people, very kind and generous. The founding team is just absolutely amazing. So I was really, really lucky to have that opportunity. An unusual one, but it's an important one in my career for sure. Yeah. And I'm struck too by multiple times you've referenced the thoughtfulness around the decision. My husband and I decided earlier, you had talked about, you know, after we had the kiddos, your thought process changed a bit. And so you've got a partner on this journey with you that all of these conversations are being had with, and he's a big part of the story as well. Oh my gosh, yes. I have the best partner, my husband, Don. And if you have a partner, you can't do it without your partner, right? If you're lucky to have a family unit, and I have one that I'm very lucky and excited about, it's family decisions. And we've made tough decisions along the way, but they've all been the right ones in the end for our family. And he's sacrificed his career. He did work in many of the places that we've lived along the way because we've relocated many, many times together. He worked when we were in Prague in the Czech Republic. And so he has even worked internationally. But when we moved back most recently to the United States, he decided to make the sacrifice to stay home with the kids, particularly during COVID and the pandemic. And so he's made major sacrifices for our family and we do that together. 
And he's a big part of your coming back to the United States. That's right. That's right. Yeah. When we moved to Serbia, we knew we would only stay, you know, a handful of years, but really when we would come back and where we would come back to was such a team decision. And so when he was ready to come back to the United States, I started looking for different opportunities. And that's when I ended up at Bowery. But what's interesting about being here now is I was actually following Bowery for some time before I ever thought about working here. And just a little context on Bowery, because I know not everyone is as familiar with Bowery as maybe Amazon or PepsiCo yet, not as familiar yet, maybe someday. But Bowery is an indoor ag company. And so we're still a startup mode, but a pretty big startup at this point. And leveraging science and technology to grow pesticide-free produce with significantly fewer natural resources than traditional farming. When I was living in Serbia, working for Nordius, working that super cool environment, I saw on LinkedIn, someone in my network had gone to this company, Bowery Farming. And I was like, well, that's so weird. How is that person in farming? You know, how did they go from Amazon to being a farmer? (laughs) I clicked on the profile and followed and read a couple stories. And I was just blown away. I was like, this is so cool and so important that there are companies in this space trying to figure out how to solve some of the world's most pressing problems. And I personally had started to get really interested in food, what's in our foods, what's on our foods. Probably over a decade ago, I think many people, once they have kids, we don't think about it for ourselves often, but when we have kids, they're like, oh gosh, what am I putting into their little bodies? And so that's when I started reading articles and watching documentaries and all of these things to understand more about food and our food system. And then I lived it firsthand. The two times that we lived in Europe, you could see the differences in food based on them being a bit more naturally farmed to table based on those economies. Apples were brewed. They weren't shiny and waxy. And when they were sold out, they were sold out and bread got moldy the next day. And we were like, huh, why doesn't that happen at home? You know? And so we really started thinking more about our food choices. And so I was just so excited to learn about Bowery. And I messaged this person in my network and thanked him for being part of this emerging industry and working in such an important space. I just told him, I'm going to be rooting for Bowery and watching and hoping that you guys do really well. I said, thanks, whatever. And several months later, while I was just starting to kick off a search and to think about, you know, moving the family back home, that same person reached out to me and said, hey, Bowery's starting a search for a chief people officer, and I think you'd be great for the role. Do you want to talk? And literally that night, I talked with Bowery's founder and CEO, Irving. Irving is just absolutely inspirational and a brilliant entrepreneur and kind and empathetic, all the things you would want from a leader that you would work with and for. After that conversation, I remember I came out of the room and my husband was like, oh, we're moving back to New Jersey, aren't we? Just after that one conversation, I, I was so sold on... Bowery and the mission and the people, you know, and the culture, I could just see this fit. And so it's been three years, an absolutely amazing ride. But, you know, I went from thinking, oh, I'm going to root for that company to being part of the executive team on the company, which is a pretty amazing step. Well, in the level of commitment that you had coming in because of your rooting for them, very different than the other roles. Yeah, absolutely. I think there was this 
personal tie to what Bowery does that was so deep from the very start. I think you can grow to love a company and what they do for sure. But I loved what Bowery was doing well before I started talking to anyone at the company. And the mission is personal for me. I really care. And it has been so neat to work with people that so deeply care and have this shared set of values and then the shared mission. I think it brings an extra energy, the intensity, the passion. It's just all amplified in a way that's hard to describe if you're not there, if you don't get to experience it yourself. So you were just talking about how personal the mission is for you. I suspect that's the case for most team members. What impact does that have? It absolutely is the case. And it's actually hard to even put into words if you haven't experienced it yourself, but I will do my best. I will give it a try. When you take people and first of all, you find this intersection between something that they care so deeply about personally And then you allow them to work in that exact space. I think there's like something very magical that happens there. And you only know it if you've done it, if you've been able to work in a space like that. And then bringing together an entire group like that, where you have shared values and shared purpose, and you're working towards a mission that is so much bigger than yourself or company profitability. It just unlocks so much. It's you're energized by it. There's definitely an intensity that is different than anywhere else. I sometimes say that when you bring our team together, there's this feeling that this must be done. It will be done. We will be the ones to do it. The team, the collective energy around achieving the mission is just something really special. It's actually hard for me to imagine ever working somewhere that didn't have that shared mission because it gets me so energized And I care deeply about what we're doing. It's just an amazing feeling. And it is about the people. One of the huge advantages of a purpose-driven organization, I mean, I can only imagine how hard people must work because of how much they care. Oh, absolutely. There's definitely a weight to it as well. It's not for, not to say we don't have fun because it really is a very, very fun place to work and we know how to have fun, but we're trying to change the world. This is really, really important it has to be fixed. I could rattle off so many different reasons that the mission of Bowery is important in terms of water usage and the UN report of food shortages by 2050 and all these kinds of things. I think everybody at the core knows this is really important. We have a broken food system and companies like Bowery must be part of the solution for our children, for our grandchildren, for our planet. There's an intensity There's a responsibility that we all feel for being part of of solving. And there's a pride, right, to be able to do that. I've been proud of every place I've worked, so don't get me wrong. They're very cool. You could probably hear from my voice. They're very cool places that I was very proud to work at. But there is a difference when I talk about Bowery because we are changing the world. And sometimes people say that, but we're really doing that. This is about changing the world and it feels so good. And I'm so proud to be part of it. Well, and when everyone shows up with that attitude, I mean, that's when stuff happens. Oh yeah. Just multiply me by hundreds of people. So you've just outlined the real advantages and the impact of working in an organization like Bowery that has such a strong mission that has huge impact, global impact. Let's connect the dots now back to all of your experiences in phase one across these big brands. 
How would you summarize the advantages and the great experiences within large enterprise organizations? Oh my goodness. I'm so grateful for how my career has gone because I think those experiences were just so foundational to the way that I work today. I'm building a small company to be hopefully a very large company. In fact, people sometimes say to ask me, Hey, will you ever go back to working at a big company? And I'm like, I'm building a big company. Bowery is going to be a big company someday. And so I think that if you've never seen scale, I think that would be really challenging to be in my role, to try to build a big generational company with a kind of culture where people want to come and want to stay. So I needed those experiences to see the processes and the structure and the org design and the challenges that happen with expansion and scale. I could not do my job effectively building a company for scale if I had not seen it myself. And like you said earlier, you also saw some of the missteps, some of the things like, gosh, if we would have focused more on this at the beginning in building the foundation, how helpful it would have been. And like I said, I mean, it's so easy to say that when you're at a, you know, you're at a company years after those decisions were made, but you learn all sorts of things after the fact. And yeah, so I've been able to apply those. I think one of the biggest learnings is less about specific programs and more about how you design. And a lot of that learning happened at my time at Nordius, working with creatives and with designers who were so amazing to take the time to teach me and to bring me into their process. But that's where I learned a ton about human-centered design and this idea of designing with people, not just for them. I think a lot of times folks in the HR space, especially traditionally, design a little bit in a vacuum. They see a problem to be solved and they think they have a great idea and they go and implement the idea. And then we end up with a cumbersome process that nobody likes or things like that, that I saw over and over and over again throughout my career where we roll something out as an HR organization and the broader organization has like organ rejection on it. Right? They're like, oh, this process doesn't feel right at all, or it's so heavy, or what value is it adding? And instead, I now have the ability to really dissect the problem, to say, like, what are we trying to accomplish here? And then to think through and to ask for the opinion of our employees and to build those programs through the lens of our values and to make sure that it feels right for the company that Bowery is today and the company that we see Bowery being in the future. Oh, that's so good. Designing with people and not for them. I mean, such a mindset shift. As you think about the talent you've worked with, incredible leaders throughout your career and have such a good perspective on leaders who flourish within large enterprise organizations and leaders that you see flourishing within smaller purpose-driven organizations, startup organizations. How would you characterize the difference in leadership in those types of organizations? Oh, it's such a great question. Of course, there's overlap, but there are also a lot of differences. I don't think everyone is cut out for big, and I don't think everyone is cut out for small. There are different skill sets. I've been lucky to experience both, and I think do both successfully. But you know, I think that's really challenging, and it's not for everyone. At big companies, I think that you find folks who thrive with continuous improvement. You know, those who can take something that's been built and been proven and make it better and better and better. You think about people eking out the next thing, but they can't, in a lot of cases, make wholesale changes, right? Because the company is established and the machine is running 
And change management is super, super hard. And so you have to pick the places that you're making adjustments and making changes. I think it's a different way of leading. It's a different way of working. And it's good. It it works for a lot of people and it works with their skill set. Then you make a move to a small company. None of the structures there. (laughs) Now you've got to be into problem solving where you've never seen it before. There's no blueprint to follow. There's no successful core where you're just iterating and making it work. The core doesn't even exist. A lot of times I think folks in the startup world talk about building the plane while you're flying. It's a massive risk to join a startup and you have to be so comfortable operating in this very, very uncertain place at work and like personally too, right? Because like a company in a startup world, I'm knocking wood while I say this, but most startups don't make it. And so I think sometimes when I'm interviewing or looking for people, one of the things that I look for 100% of the time is resilience. When we're looking for folks in the startup environment, this is so hard. This has never been done before, particularly a company like Bowery. We're not just tweaking something. We are inventing something completely brand new. And there's no one at the company that comes in and says, oh, well, I did this before. I'll show you how. (laughs) Every single person has to get out of that box that they were in and come up with a brand new solution. And so people have to be able to fail. When you're experimenting, so rarely do you get it right the first time. Sometimes it takes dozens or even hundreds of tries and you learn something from every one of those. You have to be able to celebrate those learnings and those wins along the way. But if you're someone, sometimes people will say they're a perfectionist. I'm like, oh, you do not want to do this. You will be so unhappy in a startup if you're a perfectionist. You have to be able to go, oh, that's good enough or close enough. Let's try it. Let's learn. I talk to my team a lot about the concept of pass fail or for a grade. This idea of being able to know, is this something that has to be done to perfection? Is it for a grade? Or is this something that it's pass fail? So don't spend all your time, all your energy building something that needs to scale for the next 15 years. Put the bandaid on and get moving. I build a lot of things pass fail right now. When I was rolling things out to, you know, hundreds of thousands of employees at some of the places I worked, that's for a grade. You have to spend a lot of time and get that right. And I think work in areas being more of a perfectionist, right? Here it's experimentation and it's fast moving and it's a lot of risk taking. It's a lot of connecting dots. Oh, this is so good. There's so much value in what you're sharing. You know, I think often, particularly emerging leaders early in their career can get lured by a brand and an opportunity to say, I work at. And yet you're reminding us how important it is to really be thoughtful about who you are and where you are. I mean, that could be absolutely perfect. But maybe I'm like a really scrappy problem solver and I love creating and innovating. Likely, you may be challenged in a large organization with creating new because so much already exists. It's more about tightening the screws and where can we gain efficiencies and make small improvements along the way. I think for the most part, of course, even in those large organizations, they have innovation arms and small groups. And so I don't want to at all take away from the fact that I think you can be a creative in those organizations. But I think the difference is everyone is a creative in a startup. You know, are you finding that unique team and role in a large organization? Or are you in a startup mode where everybody must be working in that way of taking risks and experimenting? You don't have to seek it out. It's there. 
maybe it's not as much about the organization as it is the role, right? The role you play and just being thoughtful about how that fits for your life right now and what it is you want. This has been so helpful. I so appreciate your journey. There are so many takeaway experiences that we can all relate to and learn from. So Carolyn, thank you so much for being here today. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. It was fun to talk. If our listeners want to connect with you, what's the best way to do that? I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me there. All right. Thanks, Carolyn. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode. Please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast to never miss a being at work story. 